Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. American school children are doing worse in math and reading. A new release by the nation's report card confirms the trend. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona reacts. This is not a wake-up call for us to double down our efforts and improve education. Even before it was, uh, before the pandemic, then I don't know what will. Um, we really need to make sure we're utilizing the ARP dollars to help our students in reading and math. The assessment targeted fourth and eighth graders between January and March this year. The last assessment was in 2019 before the COVID-19 pandemic. In math, students had the largest decline since the assessment began in 1990. And in reading, fourth and eighth graders' scores also declined compared to 2019. No state showed improvements in math and reading scores. Reading scores declined in around 30 states, and math scores declined in over 40 states and jurisdictions. And prior to the pandemic, many Americans were already sounding the alarm when it came to America's illiteracy rate. The new report we just mentioned confirms it's only gotten worse. Here to assess, we're happy to have director of the Center for Education at the Heritage Foundation, Lindsay Burke. Lindsay Burke, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Lindsay, when it comes to the discussion revolving around children and education, uh, a lot has been talked about uh, critical race theory, SEL, social emotional learning. However, the meat and potatoes, reading, writing, and arithmetic has been uh, sidelined to a certain degree. A report by the National Assessment of Educational Progress shows that math and reading scores have plummeted from pre-pandemic levels. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, this is just a disaster. I don't think that there's another way to, to state it. I mean, these are predictable, yet really shocking outcomes nonetheless. This is what is known as the nation's report card. As you said, it's the National Assessment of Educational Progress. And if we look at math scores, I mean, these are some of the biggest declines that we have seen in three decades. Eighth graders in particular saw massive declines in their, their mathematics proficiency. And so we're now at the point where only 26% of eighth graders can do math on grade level. I mean, this is, should really shock us when we see these declines. Um, that, that was a big dip from 2019, just a few years ago. And then in reading, both in fourth and eighth grade reading, we saw scores dip significantly. And so, you know, what this really shows us is that a combination of factors, but certainly teachers union induced school closures have played a big part in this. But at the same time, it is a lot of uh, policies in schools supported by these special interest groups, schools being focused on things like radical gender ideology and critical race theory at a time when we're seeing a real crisis in academic outcomes. And so this really does just, I think, punctuate uh, how how bad things are in schools across the country as we sort of exit this this COVID era. Lindsay, you mentioned that there's a combination of uh, things that are contributing to this. Um, there were some would, some would call a uh, an education crisis in our country before the pandemic. What do you think led to this, and what is the solution? Well, you know, I think ultimately what has led to this has been that. We have a system where parents have historically had very little voice in what their children are taught in schools, where their children attend schools, and whether or not they have an exit option. We have a K-12 system 
in America that is government assigned, it is publicly funded, and it is compulsory. And that is really, I think, the perfect storm of policies that really prevent family agency in their children's education. And so, you know, this is a problem that was exacerbated clearly by COVID policies, right? Teachers unions really pushing to keep schools closed. I think uh, we can set these poor outcomes directly at their feet. Uh, but the structure of education in America is really what has prevented academic outcomes from being where we would hope they would be. And so if we want to change that dynamic moving forward, we have to move toward policies where we fund children directly rather than funding physical school buildings and assigning kids to those schools. Because that is a structure that really disempowers particularly low-income families, but really disserves all families in America. And we're seeing right now that conversation change in a big way. States like Arizona have moved toward completely universal school choice. No caveats, every single family in Arizona will now have the ability to select into a school that is the right fit for their child, that aligns with their values, and provides them the education that they're looking for. That is the path forward. And until we move in that direction, we're not gonna see these outcomes improve significantly. Now, I just want to circle back to uh, SEL or social emotional learning. Has this sort of pushed out the merit-based system to a certain degree? And is it fair to say until this gets resolved, the situation could continue to decline? Yeah, I think that's right. And SEL is just such an amorphous catchphrase that it tends to become whatever people want it to become. And that has really enabled a lot of these ideologies uh, to take root in schools, whether we're talking about critical race theory or radical gender ideology. Schools are just not focused on the meat and potatoes issues that families really rely on them for. And we see that in these new NAEP results that are out today. I mean, look at some of the state outcomes that we saw this morning when everybody woke up and looked at these results. If you look at Delaware, Fourth graders in Delaware lost 14 points. That's a year and a half worth of learning in math. I mean, Maryland, New Mexico, New York, Virginia, across the board, Washington, D.C., lost a year's worth of learning in math. And reading outcomes were very bad in states like Delaware and West Virginia. I mean, they lost 12 points in reading achievement. Parents are highly concerned about these academic drops but they're equally concerned about the culture of schools across the country. And for so many families, schools are not reflecting their values or their hopes or aspirations for their children, which I do think is why we're seeing such a welcome shift towards school choice in places like Arizona, Florida, West Virginia, and elsewhere. Lindsay Burke, really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. Arizona's Maricopa County is one area where election integrity was questioned after the 2020 presidential election. State Representative Mark Fincham is an outspoken voice on the issue and says he still has many unanswered questions. Now he's running for the state's Secretary of State. Entity's Melina Wisecup recently caught up with Fincham. State Representative Mark Fincham, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Of course. Thank you for coming to the Capitol. Yes, we really like it. So I'm wondering about uh, your role as the Secretary of State if you were to win. If you were to win, would you still launch investigations into the election uh, areas here in Arizona? When warranted. I mean, my, my time as a public safety officer, a police officer, um, retired out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And when there is cause, 
reasonable suspicion is the legal term, um, you're duty bound to take a look. That's what the taxpayers ask you to do. That's what my voters are telling me they want done if they elect me. Here's a couple things that we found out in asking those questions. Maricopa County accepted at least 20,000 mail-in ballots after Election Day 2020, including 18,000 on November 4, 2020, picked up from the U.S. Postal Service, more than, more than the entire margin of victory of 10,457 ballots. That's an issue. A study of early ballot envelopes, the signatures, okay, on those ballot envelopes, identified 229,430 mismatched signatures in Maricopa County. Yet officials only reported 25,000 mismatches. That's 1.3%. That's pretty scary, okay? But there are people who would have you believe that I'm a dangerous man because I ask questions, because I propose policy things. So, uh, yeah, if if named Secretary of the State of the State of Arizona, um, I think the mission number one is to hold everybody accountable to do one thing, just follow the law, hard stop. That's what matters, that's what people want, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, Independents, they just want people to follow the law because in doing so, we take the thumb of influence off of the scale of elections are you concerned that this messaging around former President Trump <clears throat> efforts to censor him and all of his followers will negatively impact you for the election in, in a purple state like Arizona? Well, first of all, I would reject the premise that we're a purple state. Okay. We're about as red as they come. Um, we were cast as a purple state because of massive, I mean, election defects, process defects. So. Um, in that sense, I am an election skeptic, very much so. If you could just clarify, um, so many of the media is labeling you as a member of the Oath Keepers. They're trying to cast you as this bad figure. If you could just help our audience understand mm -hmm. where you stand on this issue and your response to this. Yeah, it's a propagated urban myth, um, quite frankly, by the left. Um, uh, and I've debunked this thing so many times, but uh, I'll, I'll do it one more time to humor you. Um, I don't know, six, maybe seven years ago, I don't remember when, was invited to attend a meeting, went to a meeting, gave them 10 bucks, signed on to their, their sign-in sheet. Um, that's the last contact I had with Oath Keepers. That's hardly a membership. Now, what I will say is that I am a proud member of the Fraternal Order of Police in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the National Lodge. I'm also one of the founding members of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. Well. I took an oath. Now, if you want to call me an oath keeper, as in small o, small k, I absolutely am dedicated to keeping the oath of office that I swore February 28, 1978. And repeatedly, every time I have been appointed to or elected to a position. And that is to faithfully and with fidelity to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of this state against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.